Welcome to Back in the Field, episode whichever one the bet is. I'm Carl. My name is Arthi, and this is episode 12 of the podcast, but episode 13 of the show. And this is the second podcast I've recorded today. And this is also the second time we've recorded the bet overall. Maybe we should just, like, run our pilot after this. Oh no, I don't know. I mean, we could. I could edit that. We, we could just edit. We could edit them all together. Into would, one oh, into one double long episode that people have no choice to listen to all of. So, so our original recording of the bet was a watch along, and I actually do still have the audio track for that. So, if you wanted to, we could. I don't remember how we did during that. I don't think it was abysmal. It was okay. It wasn't the worst. You know what? I'll probably release it as a bonus episode. Maybe we can like kickstart it or so, whatever it's called. Oh my god. We can crowdfund you guys getting a bonus episode of our for free podcast. Crowdfunding. You know what? If you guys want us to release the bonus episode of the podcast, drop us an ask saying, hey, I want that bonus episode. Yeah, audience participation. Hey. We should link to our Tumblr. We will 100%. Why? Wait, hang on. Are we not linking to our Tumblr? We're always on our Tumblr. I don't pay attention. We don't release on anything but our Tumblr. Oh, wait, we don't link to our Tumblr from our SoundCloud page. We should link to our Tumblr from our SoundCloud page. There might be someone there. No. They might have come in through, like, Twitter. No, actually, I was looking at our stats. Our entire audience comes from Tumblr. Oh, they have a... Whatever. The I, sound... think we th- I think we call that ref- refer... Yes, referrals. referrals. It shows this yeah. referrals. And it's all entirely Tumblr. Literally cool. no one clicks in from Twitter. You guys are interested in this. Yay! <laughs> no one clicks in from that one time I linked to it in my reread. I wish they did. Maybe they did. I should go check for that week. One person might have. One person, One person asked about it. Yeah. I mentioned to a couple of them in my office, and they were like, one was like, you should email the production company for Brooklyn Nine-Nine and just have one of the cast on your podcast, which I was like, I'm game for that, but I feel like they're important and we're not. <laughs> and he, his response, and I'll never forget this, he was like, come on, what about that one guy, Jolo Truglio? What's he doing? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, this is a, is oh, it, no. Is it podcasts? Hey Joe, Joe Latrulio, come be on our show where we relentlessly talk shit about your character, which is one of the things that's going to happen today. Yeah, unfortunately, Charles is getting thrown under the bus a little bit. There's some tough love. But you know what? Boyle improves significantly after the party, but also this episode. We can have him on for a not horrendous episode. Yeah. We could do a watch log with him there. Yeah. That would be crazy bad, probably. That would be a bad use of resource. <laughs> that would be such a terrible... Especially because he would only give us like a half hour. Well, that's how our- long it takes to do a watch along. <laughs> no, it takes us way longer than that because of fucking Hulu. Oh. Welcome to episode... <laughs> Are we starting over? <laughs> no, I we're starting over. I'm keeping this part. <laughs> I'm the one who's drunky, not Carl. So. I'm drunk on podcast. <laughs> He's slap happy. I'm drunky. This is this is different from the time he was slap and I was happy, or I was slap and he was happy. Throwing it back. We had one episode where I was like, I'm slap, he's happy. I think I had a, a similar kind of deafening silence at that point. <laughs> you did, and it was so awkward. <laughs> okay, okay. So before we start talking about our topics, let's go over what the bet is about. Oh, hey. <laughs> So, for those of you who weren't paying attention for the rest of the series and Hitchcock, uh, the bet is the culmination of the first half of the season's arc, which is 
basically this episode and the first episode where uh, no, it shows up in the background. In a it few shows minutes. up, but it's the thin basis for an arc. Well, it kind of counts for like a Joss Whedon show or something, right? Like, I mean, they they introduced it and then let it run in the background, and I think that was. Let's keep arguing about this instead of the rest of the plot. <laughs> Wait, no. Actually, no, it does come back in a few episodes. It comes True. back in old school because she said, occasionally they say Peralta should get it, Santiago should get the, the like, uh, credit for it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they actually yeah. do acknowledge it, but not after, not after, um, not after about old school. After that, there's like a, they don't talk about it for a while. So what the bet is about is who can bring in the more, the most felony arrests in the course of the year. And there's some stakes which are, if Jake loses, Amy gets his car. If Amy loses, she goes on a date with him. Amy uh, Amy loses because Jake <laughs> cheats yeah. by uh, running running a sting through uh, Vice yeah. to bring in a bunch of Johns who are solic- like, soliciting sex. So he wins. They go on a date. Meanwhile, <laughs> Boyle... Still is past the point in time wherein his butt was shot and is now being awarded for that act of having been shot butt-wise. So, he's given the medal of something. Valor. Valor. Uh, at the same time as Sergeant Peanut Butter, who is a horse. I'm not going to try to gender Sergeant Peanut Butter. That's pretty whack. No, Holt does it. He's, he's being feted by the United Nations. Yeah, but I, I don't want to risk Holt having been wrong. I think internal consistency is okay. enough of our jam. Sure, sure, sure. Yes, so another important plot point in this episode is that Peanut Butter, Sergeant, Horse, is feted by the United Nations <laughs> while Charles is taken to a bar to drink while on painkillers. Good ideas? Questionable. <laughs> oh no! They never thought about that! Taking him to the bar when he was on strong painkillers. That's horrible. And the thing about strong painkillers, this is the longest, most long-winded summary ever, is that uh, he's dropping truth bombs left, right, and center. Yes. Just saying whatever he thinks to whoever is in front of him, and it's rarely complimentary. Let's start with that, because I... We haven't finished summarizing. Oh, God, what? Okay. Jake takes Amy on the date, which is the worst date ever. She's wearing some terrible thing. He's wearing... A suit with shorts. Then Charles is like, it's romantic. He's like, it's not. They go to a thing. They do some stuff. There's a stakeout. There's peanuts. They catch a guy by pretending to be almost engaged but then broken up. The criminals all into it. <laughs> then there's some romance. Charles creeps all over the world. And uh, then there's a stripper with, like, bullets being taken and grinding up pawns. Now we're done with the summary. Carl, Carl is wonderful. That was a wonderful summary, Carl. And like I was saying earlier. Basically all you need to know. Hey, anyway, let's... <laughs> oh, shit, I forgot. Also, Terry's wife is there, and Terry's Breaking Bad. That's the C-plot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, let's go ahead and start with Truth Bomb Boyle, because when we... Well, with 17 points of articulation. Okay, let's dive into Truth Bomb Boyle, I say, for this fifth time. Come with me. <laughs> no, no, okay, so... Truth Bomb Boyle, I, I will actually, if we release the bonus episode, I'm going to say it's there and I'll say it again here, which is that I think I didn't like Boyle's character until this episode. I think that I thought Boyle was like funny and sweet when he wasn't being awful and a decent Boyle to Jake. This is the most like 
This is the best display of, like, something interesting about him. Yeah. Well, I think what's important, though, is that the spine that he appears to be growing in this episode seems to stick. Because we do see him make some, like, snarky comments at Jake in the next episode in Operation... In, in, uh, I'm sorry, in The Ebony Falcon. When True. Jake's like, I'm going to take care of their kids. And he's like, or his wife, or his other relations, or his more mature friends. But sure, let's go with that. <laughs> Cause I and and I think like I think I think it was just like watching Boyle let himself be walked all over like that was really uncomfortable for me. Uncomfortable and caused you just to, you know, imagine him out of scenes, right? Yeah. Like the Boyle before the bet is just less of a person you have to think about. Yeah, yeah. But like, what is actually more interesting though is not that I was into it, but that Gina was so into it. So. As we know, so we keep building this case as time goes on, mostly because I am relentlessly dogged in my pursuit of this ship. Uh, Gina Boyle ship watch? Yeah. Not my OTP, though. Gina's into it. Gina's so into it. So she says something about Sergeant Peanut Butter being better than uh, Charles Boyle, which, fair. Good, Good thought to have Gina. And his response is, Gina, you just lash out at people... To make to soothe your inner pain. Also, you need to use less conditioner because this gesture and hair boil doesn't have, and I don't have, is a flat mess. And Gina's face is like, oh really? <laughs> this is an interesting thing. As she tilts her head to the side and kind of leans her head up, that is not an angry body language. She is like Intrigued. narrowing her eyes to receive a narrower band of data and exposing her throat. <laughs> Alright, well, Carl's really read into this more than I have. But oh, I'm just thinking about this right now. That's fair. But <laughs> I was just going to say, I think Gina's into it the way I was into it, which is like, oh ho. This is, this. this is an unexpected development. One that we are very much on board with. Well, because like like you said, it was uncomfortable watching him get walked all over. And, and you know, now that we've been doing the meta and the episodes and everything for a while, it becomes more and more obvious that like Gina's working... <laughs> however well or poorly, to make Charles not be that guy. She's trying to turn him into someone else, not through manipulation, but by constantly telling him, yo, the person you're being is shit. Yeah. But also, things she told him, she's wired to thrive on dysfunction. Things she hasn't told him yet, those Gs are surprisingly low-waisted. Did I just check out Boyle? Oh, no. Was I briefly attracted to Boyle? <laughs> Carl just fanned himself like a southern woman. Like Gina in that episode. Though. Oh, that's true. Oh, yeah. There's, that is the other alternative reading, yes. She's she's a northern woman. Yeah. You're right. Okay. I think I think also, like, what's great about that scene, and, and all of Boyle's truth bombs, that we finally get to see just exactly why Boyle is a good detective. Like, usually we see him being a good detective doing, like, all the, like, nitty-gritty, boring, labor-intensive police work. But in this case, we actually get to see that he's, an, he's a perceptive person who can really, like, cut to the heart of, like, somebody's insecurities if he wants to, and generally doesn't. Like, he's probably better off when facing a sub, uh, like, a suspect as the bad cop. And that's really funny to think about. Because Jake's never let him be that... No, but Jake is never the bad cop either. Jake's just badly copping. <laughs> <laughs> Jake would be a better good cop. Jake would be better at connecting to people. Too good, as we saw in the Pontiac Bandit. Oh, ho, ho. <laughs> Bringing it around. Um, 
I mean, w- one of the things we also talk about, though, is that, like, his perceptiveness and his emboldened nature in this episode causes him to both, like, solve and create problems for himself and others. Yeah, I mean, he creates a ton of problems by, you know, not having a filter, and no one's really their best selves when they're completely uninhibited. I'm sure you and I both have personal stories illustrating that point all I too mean, well. I mean, yeah, everyone does. Yeah. Like, we're not, humans are not at their best when they act automatically. True. That's why we learn things, right? Like, we learn things so we can figure out ways to move through the world better than how we do naturally. True. I would argue, though, that Charles is overcompensated with his heuristics there, though. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, he's a people pleaser. He presents what he thinks people want him to be. Mm-hmm. And no one's that good at reading other people. And even if they are, people can tell. People can tell when you're trying to be something just for them. Like Holt and Amy. Yeah. Like, (laughs) you see how that never works out for you, Amy? It's not hard to tell. Some people can present false selves well enough to fool people. But that's a really bad thing to do and doesn't doesn't cause more positively meaningful interactions for you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which is Boyle's goal. (laughs) To have good interactions with people. I think seeing him act like this made up for a lot of his weird creepiness with Rosa prior, but not after. Yeah, because, like, so the things that he does that are good in this episode Mm -hmm. are when he, like, what's weird is when he's not trying to be nice. Yeah, he's just trying to be instructive. He's not trying to let people off hooks. Yeah. Right? Like, with Jake, he tells him, this is what you're doing. This is why you're doing it. And if you don't figure out what that means, you know, you're just going to be doing a disservice to yourself and Amy by racking up $1,400 of credit card debt for one evening that she hates. <laughs> yes, he's not letting Jake off the hook about, like, his intentions towards Amy, which I completely agree with. I think also, though, like, what really makes that is that we have seen up until this point Jake taking advantage of Charles at every possible opportunity. So maybe call it the, like, sadist in me or call it the sort of, like, vengeful portion of me. But I was actually really happy to see for once Charles kind of get one, not get one against Jake, but kind of be able to, like, be the one who sets Jake off the kilter as opposed to always being the one being set off kilter by Jake sort of, like, being like, come on, come on, let's go. Yeah, there has to be give and take. Exactly, and until then, we had only seen Jake taking. We had never seen Charles dishing. Hashtag story of Jake. Yeah, that's true. First of all, what Charles is saying to him is really valuable. Yeah. But also, I mean, he's saying in a way that Jake can't handle yet. Yeah. And anything that Jake can't handle is a problem he has to solve. I like that. I also like that Jake's response, when, when Jake feels cornered, whether intentionally or unintentionally, his response is to lash out. Like a certain flat meth haired <laughs> yeah, that's friend of his. Yes. Um, Gina's lashing out tends to be more focused, I think. Yeah, I mean, she kind of... She goes for more of a scorched earth thing. But, like, I wonder, though, if you learned it from her. I wouldn't be surprised. That strikes me, because she was the one who was, like, troubled youth and, and at-risk youth and everything. I like, mean, you got to know that Jake was at risk. But, like, he always wanted to be a cop, so he wasn't actually going to... Yeah. 
give he, in to risks. But he doesn't strike me as the type to like fall in with a bad crowd in middle and high school. I point you to the Pontiac Bandit. Oh fuck, you're right. God damn it, you're fucking right. It wouldn't take that much. Pontiac Bandit ruining everything for Arthur. <laughs> fuck it. Hey. So so okay, so we agree that like what he does with Jake is like a positive. Also, Malipnos. Malipnos <laughs> is really a bad crowd, but. He gets suckered into that. Ah, uh, you're fucking right. He wouldn't realize he was in a bad crowd until somebody else, probably fucking Gina, was like, you know you're you're running with, like, people who steal cars or who, who like, are robbing the bodegas or some shit like that. And, you, and Jake's like, these are your friends. And she's like, yeah, Jake. <laughs> I'm an at-risk youth. Um, you want to be a cop. <laughs> you can't be arrested. She's right. Okay, um... Fictional Gina that we made up just now is right. Go fictional... Wait, double fictional. Double fictional Gina we just made up is right. Double fictional teenage Gina. Oh, man, it's like... Right the fic, Arthi. No. (laughs) Speaking of fic, though... Yeah. Wait, first let's finish... First let's finish talking about... Anything. (laughs) (laughs) So part two truth bomb? Let's keep talking about truth bombs and, and which ones he gets right. We talked about Jake and how much I like that it seems to shift their power dynamic back to an equal footing, whereas it felt like Jake was always the dominant. Plus, um, point I wanted to make earlier, which is just that I think after this episode, we see Jake actively respecting Boyle more, and part of me wonders if it's because Boyle called him out. Oh, absolutely. It's totally because of that. It's, it's a pack dynamic thing. There was, there was a challenge, and it made him respect... Wait, this, I don't know how wolves work. I don't know how, I don't know how idiomatic wolf packs work. I know it's not like how real wolf packs work. <laughs> well, ultimately, ultimately, that happened, and the outcome seems to have been that because Charles pointed to, out to Jake, and and when Jake responded with the very cutting remark of "You live in your ex-wife's new boyfriend's apartment basement," like Charles's response isn't like. Like fainting, you know, withering away. His response is just basically like, "Yeah, and," and and I think that really won, maybe not in that exact moment, but ultimately one moment, one like some currency with Jake. Well, also what he did there is, as Jake was walking away, his line, "I'm ashamed of my living situation." What Charles does there is make Jake aware of. The consequences of what he just said. Yes, Jake, there are some terrible things about my life. You've pointed them out. Good job. And, like, it does a couple things, right? Jake hates hurting his friends. One. Jake doesn't want to be like Charles is. Two. And most importantly, well, so by accomplishing point one, making Jake realize that he'd hurt Boyle... That sticks the conversation in his mind. It's not going away now. Boyle kind of owning that, owning that thing that could be hurtful, takes sort of a lot of the... It, it potentially could take the wind out of his sails. Yeah. I So I another thing that him owning it is like... That's supposed to shut him up. Yeah. Him owning it means it's not a walkaway line. It's just the last hurtful thing Jake said. Right. That landed, Charles owned it, and now Jake still has to think about the things Charles said. Right. Because Charles has internalized the things that Jake said. Otherwise, uh, there's Terry. 
who, as I summarized, is Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. And it is in question his phone ownership re-numbers thereof. Charles coming in and, and, and basically stepping in and fixing the whole Terry-Sharon situation. Uh, which, they haven't explained at all. Sharon, Terry's wife, shows up in this episode and finds out that Terry went back in the field without telling her. Because Holt mentions what a hero he is. By the way, guys, I don't know if anyone else has had this thought, but I hope so. Pretty sure Holt is super smashed by this part of the episode. Because can you imagine him blundering to that kind of error and then using a Charles Boyle special to try to get out of it if he were sober? Nope. <laughs> he is not at full capacity. This is a smart man. A smart man who constantly, skillfully manipulates people. Bloop. Being defeated by a very simple problem. Bloop. Bloop. Indeed. <laughs> you want to take over from here, Arthur? <laughs> yeah. I've been talking a lot. No, it's okay. So, so he solves all these problems. He solves, like, he solves the Jake issue where Jake just can't decide. Or Jake is, is misdirecting his emotional uh, energy, shall we say. Um... I wouldn't say he solves it so much as he exposes it. That's true. He exposes he sets it on a path. Yeah, that that's a that's a form of like setting up the solving. Mm. Fair. I think that's fair. He he does actually resolve the whole Terry Sharon tri- Bermuda Triangle of badness. Um, and but he also creates a problem. Which is the Rosa situation. He He's exacerbating that problem there. He also probably hurt his career by uh, telling the deputy police chief how his breath smells. Or whatever that guy is. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. De- is he like the deputy commissioner? Or is that Podolsky? That's Podolsky. Podolsky is definitely the deputy police That guy is Holt's boss. He shows up in Christmas. Let's just move on. No, wait, we have to talk about Rosa and Boyle in the closet. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk I about mean, Rosa I mean, that's the big the problem that he saw, he creates, except for the potential problem of Gina wanting to jump his bones. But we like that problem, so we, it's okay. We, we're fond of that problem. <laughs> I was telling 40 million years, shout out, girl, that... Hey. <laughs> I don't think I can do that. Hey. Think, yeah, that's the thing. I don't think I can... I think it's different coming from men. You have to just be cuter about it. I believe I in you. I can't be cuter. Do it. I, I can believe be in you. cute in a handsome way. Let's talk about that that coat scene and how. I'm so sorry about that. It's um, it's the worst. It's, like the, the blocking is so bad. Like this, the the location is bad. He's trapping her in a coat room. I was telling forty million years that like the. I love almost every single minute of this episode, except the last... That scene with Rosa in that coat closet really leaves a bitter taste in my mouth. No scene with Rosa in this episode is okay. Because she's scared of him. Yeah, he's... That is awful to watch. He is actively threatening her in a way that he doesn't seem to fully comprehend. Yeah. And, and... Okay, I will I will grant a certain amount of, of like leeway here. His primary thing that he wants to tell her before he gets weird and creepy about the like and You are going to date me. Right. One day when you date me and you will or whatever. Like the the point he's trying to make is I didn't save your life because it was you specifically. I saved your life because it was a cop 
And he is, like, trying to say... Like, his goal in all this is to say, you don't owe me anything. I know you feel like you do. Right. I'm not going to use this as collateral against you. I would never do that. Right. And so I'm willing to grant um, some amount of, like, okay. But he's doing it in a way that makes him still be in control of everything. Yeah. I mean, that is... But that's sort of the whole point of Boyle in this, like, drugged-up state, is that he keeps deciding he's in control of the situation. Charles being in control is sort of what allows him to take control of the situation. Like, er, well, obviously him being in control. Charles feeling like he's in control allows him to do the things that he does in the other parts of the episode. He allows him to set Jake and Amy, like, on the, like... Set Jake's head right. Yes, exactly. And then it allows him to resolve the whole Terry-Sharon triangle. But it also allows him to kind of assert his dominance over Rosa in a way that's really deeply uncomfortable for everyone, especially Rosa, very clearly. With those other three, he is never in danger of being the overpowering force in those interpersonal dynamics. Mm -hmm. But as we've seen in previous episodes, he does set the tone of his interactions with Rosa through Mm -hmm. persistence. With Jake, it's it's always been about what Jake wants to talk about. Holt and Terry are his bosses. Like, with them, it's the comedy thing of the reversal of fortunes, right? It's it's the carnival season where the poor can rule the rich. Yes. With Rosa, it's the man setting the tone of their interactions again. Which is what he's always done. It's not different, it's just more. It's also why Gina is much more interesting for Boyle in general. Because she's got power over him mm-hmm. through not giving a fuck. <laughs> yes. Also, Gina doesn't think he's sweet. No, and and I don't... I almost wish she would stop saying that. Even Rosa? if it's true, yeah. Yeah. Even if it's true, it's not helping the situation anymore. I mean, I don't think it's a good strategy, but I'm not here to interrogate her behavior. Yeah, I and I really can't play like I haven't pulled those kind of escapist escapist tactics before. Let's this is horrible for everyone. Let's move on. Why Just in case we have to cut all this down to one sound bite, bad boil. Spray bottle noise. <laughs> psh, 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 psh. Incidentally, so Gina's assigned explicitly by Holt to like shepherd away from making an ass of himself. Are you perhaps arguing that he's double shipping? You have a you have a theory about how he's shipping uh, Jake and Amy before this episode, right? True. We'll come back to that. I actually wanted to say, why hasn't anyone written fic about Gina keeping Boyle from embarrassing and or tanking his own career? Because um, no one likes writing shit about Gina and Boyle. I know, and I wish someone did. Audience, dear audience. One of you should write that. One of you... Look. It's just simple economics, right? Look at the future. The wave of Gina Boyle is coming. Like, you've seen the last episode, right? If not, maybe watch that instead of listening to more of this podcast. (laughs) Because, you know, if you're waiting for us... There's just not a good reason. There's going to be a ton of shipworthy stuff about them in, in season two. You should corner the market. There's a giant hole in the market. Fill it. 
So we talked, we mentioned before about Sharon and Terry. This is the first time we've seen Sharon on screen. Sharon is played by Marin Denji, whom I love. I've loved her ever since I saw her on Alias a million years ago. She was great on Better Off Ted. I'm so glad she's here. And purely selfishly, I'm glad they picked a tall woman to pair with Terry Cruz. One, one thing that Carl said when we, um, when we watched this last week was um <laughs> quote i will never forget which is terry what the hell you're exacerbating a worst case scenario which i thought was really awesome because like he's carl that is is fucking right like you're right carl like terry is just making what is ostensibly sharon's worst nightmare which is her husband goes out into the field without telling her without any protection or preparation or even frankly really permission and, like, ends up, like, doing something extremely dangerous that could have gotten him killed. And fortunately, by some miracle of God, he wasn't hurt. But some other idiot was. Like... Like, you know what could have... Like, you know what could have happened? He could have died. And he would have died, and she wouldn't even have known that that was a possibility. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't die at death work, and that's where she thought he was that night. Mm-hmm. That's not an okay thing. Mm-hmm. Like pretty terrible. Breaking Bad is a good analogy. Yeah. And, you and know, spoilers, guys. Walter White is not an acceptable human being by any metric. No. It's a really good segue into our next point, which is that all of the men in this episode are really bad to the female characters that they're paired with. Which is a really good segue into my real heart of the episode, which is hashtag not all men, tall, bald, Asian detective is a perfect sweetheart to all humans. And only exists to bring light and love to the world. Let's talk about the crowd scenes. Okay, for those of you who are not aware, which includes me, um, until this most recent viewing, there is a background detective character who is tall, bald, and Asian. He wears a leather jacket every time he's in scene, including in a year ago. The past. <laughs> the, 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 the like extra people only gave him one outfit, so he wore it in all conceivable time frames. Yes. Even in the darkest timeline, tall, bald Asian chicks is wearing that thing with a jacket. Which is, first of all, very flattering. And second yeah. of all, he seems like a generally chill, cool dude. Yeah. He, he seems unfazed by the general shenanigans and tomfoolery Indeed. of the 99th Precinct. Indeed. Oh, wait, no. He is wearing dress blues when he shows up in the first scene where the medal is worn. Man, everyone was in dress blues this episode, and I loved it. He's my new second favorite character. Yes. Who is your first second favorite character? You know. It's Isaac, the oh, drug dealer who loves dealing drugs. Uh, secondary characters only appear. I just love characters who are doing what they love. Like, holding a notepad in the back of a crowd scene. But you can still see him because he's so tall. I'll have him on the show. Like, if he wants to come on, I don't know that actor's name. He he's might probably have... not in the credits. He's not. He might be a great, like, he probably has some good behind-the-scenes stories. He might be a writer for the show. We don't know. Ooh. Speaking of writers for the show, this episode was written by Lauren McCready, who is a female, I assume. I'm assuming a lot here. But um, all of her print media would indicate that she is female. And second of all, she used to write for Kim Possible. Oh, cool. Which is kind of, which was awesome when I realized that. I knew I recognized her name because she's written for a lot of animation before. Interesting. Yeah. That might explain 
why the emotional points of this episode are so high school. Kind of, yeah. Is that rude of me? No, it's all right. I was going to say, so you mentioned Tobble Asian Detective in the background, but we did also note that, like, all of the crowd scenes are surprisingly diverse. There's a lot of, like, different sort of ethnic groups represented. And not, like, falsely, all of those groups are, like, definitely, like, in and around and, like, thriving in that part of Brooklyn. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. More funny was that you mentioned the past... We see the crowd is, like, on Amy's side initially, <laughs> but then by the time Jake fake proposes to Amy, which, by the way, when I saw that, I remember just, like, sitting in my apartment being like, they did not, that's the shippiest, I knew when that happened that I was going to see that in every, like, fan vid until the end of the series, yeah. like, until the show was over. Well, but, after the heat death of the universe. Yeah. That will show up in fan vids on yes, YouTube. Yes, yes. Um, but, like, uh, they're clearly on Amy's side initially, and then they're on Jake's side, and you said, and I, I won't forget this. The 99th Precinct is very fickle. It goes for whoever has the sickest birds at the time. Yes, exactly, and I kind of love that, because that's pretty much true to life. And, like, Terry is the biggest bellwether oh my of God. the entire... Like, 100%. He's always with whoever's winning. Well, That's all, why he's sergeant. We've also, like, pointed out that it wasn't McGinley who put Jake and Amy together as partners. It was Terry! Because McGinley didn't do shit. We know he wasn't doing anything. Literally, he wasn't doing anything. He was hungover in his office eating cheeseburgers. <laughs> That's almost word for word what we're told he does. But, like, we know it was Terry who put them together. And so it's kind of nice, nice... Nice may not be the right word. It was interesting from a very, like, character-driven perspective, seeing him not only encourage their competition, but also, like, but also, like, he's the sergeant. He needs them to be able to work together. Yeah. So this is, like, a collaborative competition. It hits all the things that Terry needs them to hit, basically. They'll solve cases. They might work together better. I mean, like... Some people think... But the thing is, he doesn't suggest any part of it. That's true. Like, he has to... But you're, he doesn't you're setting discourage up his, like, it. senators here. He's got... He's, like, got <laughs> schemes upon plans upon, <laughs> upon all kinds of things. But he's the one who sets the terms of the bet. Is he? Yeah. Oh, he's the one who's, like, okay, I've heard these things, we're finalizing it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. acts as, like, the final, like... Arbiter. Yeah, thank you. Because he is the sergeant, and it's his job to decide that his... That his best detectives are now doing a bet. <laughs> yes, apparently. I was, his job is poorly defined. Can we, can we... So, I like so much about that, like, flashback scene. Mm -hmm. So much about it. First of all, Amy's got her hair down. Mm -hmm. Which... Oh, Melissa Fumero. We love you. You're so pretty. Yes, fan ourselves. Not just because it's July in New York in my apartment. <laughs> oh, make it stop being hot. I wish. I wish I could, Carl. Also, we always tell everyone what day it is. Whatever. Well, they're actually going to be able to listen to this one in July still, so oh, it's cool. fine. We're recording this the week we We're catching up to the past. <laughs> that's a bad thing. Yeah, that's actually kind of terrible. There is no Sergeant McGinley in that scene. <laughs> Why would there be? No, but like... It's too loud and bright. <laughs> You're right. When Gina asks, uh, when Gina asks Amy, "What is the worst thing that could happen to you, Santiago?" She goes, "Being one of those girls in Jake's car." That's why the crowds on their seat, her side. Yeah. They really all go, "Oh." <laughs> By the way, what's the verb for that? I don't know. It's man. not catcalling, and it's no, not. It's, uh... There's a word for that. Hey, audience, if you know what that word is, can you tell me? Because I've been really trying to remember what that word is and failing. Uh. 
we'll figure it out. Anyway, but Jake mouths back, you wish. And it made me think about how in the pilot, Gina says that Jake had guaranteed there would be sex if they went on that date. And can we just say, I'm really glad they, like, swerved very far away from that. Because that's not a character I want to spend very much time with. No. Also, I feel like that that version of Jake is not really around anymore. Yeah. Dude is, in, dude is no longer portrayed as someone who's getting laid a lot. Like, Jake has had zero action since... Emmy time? Since Corp Fish. <laughs> or at least, canonically. We don't know what he's doing with his life. But you and I, I that, do. We, you and I have that theory that like he doesn't have an outside life. Yeah, I mean he goes on first dates is what he does for the rest of his life. Well, a lot of people like this to... episode guarantees that he's been, has fifty worst first dates. That's like a fucking rom com title. <laughs> That's an Adam Sandler movie. God, it's literally fuck an Adam. that. <laughs> it might also be like um, a Steve Carell movie. It's not, no, I mean, really... It, oh, it's it, actually... Actually, Adam Sandler... It's Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore. Right, 50 right. First Dates. Oh. Okay, let's just jump into the date. You had said something that I thought was really interesting, which was that Jake makes a lot of the date about himself. Yeah. And and in doing so, proves that the stakes were personal already. Past me was smart about that. Yeah. Can present you elaborate on either of those points? Yeah, I mean, so... The dress that... Amy is wearing mm-hmm. is Jenny Gildenhorn's Jenny Gildenhorn's dress. It's like stitch for stitch her dress. Now, obviously, in universe, they just gave that girl the same fucking dress. Yeah, but like maybe Jake had to go to a seamstress or something. God knows where he got that dress. Yeah, uh, and also, how does a dress that fits a thirteen-year-old middle schooler also seamstress? <laughs> oh god, yeah, he had it tailored. Yeah, it had to be tailored. Yeah, I mean, he might have been like. This is yours. You have to have it fitted. You have to have it assigned to you. Here's here's the money. Oh jeez. That was an embarrassing encounter. So he she's wearing his. But he's enough of a creeper that he might actually know all of her sizing. I mean, he definitely knows all her sizing. It's fair. Like he profiles people for a living. That's true, and I mean, okay. Um, not to say that like the one necessarily is the other, but like. It's a comedy. So, she's wearing the dress that his first girlfriend wore when she dumped him. His only girlfriend, as far as we can tell. I mean, like... He makes it... He sounds... It makes it sound like he knew, like... I mean... I feel like a lot of us go back and forth about that. Maybe I am going to presume that he dated the girl that he lost his virginity to. But, like... I don't know. Good, good, Carl. Remembering stuff better than me. Because that was in high school. You're right. But, like, that could also have just been a thing that happened. It's just, I don't really buy that of him. Like, he seems like... We've uh, been... Kind of... He seems like kind of later comer to perpetually first dating. The main thing is that she's wearing that dress. Mm-hmm. That we later see is the dress that Jenny Gildenhorn wore when she jumped him. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like Amy uses her own accessories, though. That purse, those earrings are different. Maybe, but they're like blue feathers, right? Like chandelier earrings, maybe? Okay, maybe. But, like, the rest of the date is less specifically about events from his past. Mm-hmm. 
at first, like the things he has planned. Right. And they're more about the most outlandish things that will always keep the spotlight on how big of a weirdo he is. <laughs> I was going to say, the portrait studio thing alone made me like, <laughs> Two what of the us play once, I Right? And then the like dangerously cheap seafood restaurant just made me want to like go throw up. Yeah. Like, and that's Mr. That's that's Mr. Jake, uh, an egg sandwich fell on the floor, so I got it for free, Peralta, for you. Is that past or future? Gave me an awesome new life hack. Why are you so happy? Future. Yeah, it's the future. But, you know, it's that dude. Yeah. It's, you know, I got my arm stuck in a vending machine, dude. I'm stuck! Oh, <laughs> God. That, that scene where he makes that voice, I wanted to go, like throw up all over just like die I just want to die but later when he gets serious when they go out on the stakeout and do the thing they actually love doing rather than steer a jig from Titanic <laughs> overtly romantic yeah by the way how did he not figure out that anything from Titanic was not romantic it's about a boat that sinks <laughs> it's not the scene where they do the steer jig it's about a boat jig, that sinks the steer jig immediately segues into them having sex it's about sex. a boat's romance with <laughs> iceberg oh it doesn't it yeah. does that to immediately lead to sex yes. is that guaranteed to lead to sex <laughs> what happens with the steerage have you not seen Titanic I <laughs> Is that I've what this seen is like the first us? five minutes of Titanic okay so when in, I was young in in Titanic they he, have sex Yes, they do have You're sex. You're blowing my mind here. Okay, so in Titanic, when they do the steerage jig scene, which is like, she, Kate Winslet's character is like high class. Why am I explaining this to the I audience? I know what the Titanic <laughs> movie is. Right, fine. So she, I know it's not no, actually about a boat's love affair with an iceberg. Though that is an interesting read on the story. As a metaphor, anyway. Oh, you should read the Tor.com story that's about uh, the Chrysler Building and the Empire State Building falling in love on Valentine's Day. That's the nicest thing I've ever heard. I need to read this immediately. I'll send you a link. We'll put a link in the comments. Yeah, actually, we'll do that this time. The the steerage jig scene immediately segues into uh, Leo like and Kate. In the car? Yeah, they like they they go, and then it's the iconic scene where she like thump, mm-hmm. and then yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then after that is, I think, Draw Me Like One of Your French Girls. Mm. Yeah. Pretty Maybe sure that's the progression. Pretty sure. Maybe Regardless, when Charles says romantic, he's fucking right on so many levels. It's like, are you going to bang after this then? <laughs> yeah, kind of. In your car? What you brought? <laughs> yes, exactly. In your classic car that, like, you've at least kissed six girls in. <laughs> With the car that was the entire point of this exercise, Jake. Right? Right? Like, fucking Boyle is so on point, it's gross. Oh, God. Man, you, you've clarified that moment to me to a large extent. Thanks. Thanks. And later, but like, so that's yeah. the middle bit. Right. Af- after that, he goes on back, well back to the point about him making it about him. The stakes were high because his car is immensely emotionally valuable to him mm-hmm. because he ties it to the beginning of his life as a policeman. Mm-hmm. Which, as far as I can tell, is the beginning of his life. I would argue that. It sounds like he didn't go to college, and we've talked about this before. He was, like, right at the cusp of, like, actual adulthood. He would have been, like, 19, maybe 20 at the and, outside. And what was he doing before as an underperforming high schooler who was probably being mocked for having no dad? Man, were kids that cruel? I feel like I knew plenty of kids who didn't have a dad. 
I mean, like... His parents were divorced. He thought about it 100% of the time. Right? Like, Well, I don't know. It's hard to tell how deep his daddy issues actually are. He clearly, like, is not... He's obviously not happy about them. But he's he, not happy about them, but, but he, he is kind of jokey about them and willing to use them to try to get a cool half mil out of old. I feel like... I feel like they're the same, like, level of daddy issues as, like, Castle has on Castle. Where it's, like... I have seen Castle. Basically... I know that all white men have daddy issues, though. <laughs> TV-wise. Oh, yeah. God. Oh, God, you're right. Castle, Tony, Gordon... Did you only just realize this? <laughs> this is the main thing about white men on television and in fiction in general. Because of write what you know. You're right. Also, hashtag, hashtag SPN. <laughs> Well, that I knew. That one was this obvious. Is, this is my fight of the week. <laughs> Supernatural fandom. Come fight me by listening to my podcast. Oh, Jesus. I, so I, I, when we were originally having our, like, pre-episode discussion, like, two weeks ago, one of the things I wanted to say was, like, um, I wanted to parallel this scene that we have with Jake and Amy on the roof where Jake explains to Amy why he likes that, why he loves his car so much. I had an idea about it being in some ways parallel to Jake and Amy on the bus in the Vulture. And I didn't have a good like I didn't have a good like deep amount of analysis for it. And I don't really still either. But I'm gonna say something and then we can kinda just keep going from like not necessarily dive into it, but we'll just like touch on it. Okay. Which is just that like I think in the scene with the vulture, I told you like I think that was probably the scene where Jake finally fucking for the first time realized that other people love his job the way he loves his job I think this is the first time we see that from Amy that Jake loves his job the way she loves her job like we Jake needed to see that other people get enthusiastic about the job the way he does but Amy needed to see that Jake gets dorky about the job the way she does Maybe he's not, you know, constantly reviewing police codes, and maybe he's not taking seminars on handshaking. But, you know, he gets dorky and sentimental about the job in a way that I think she does also. Without her, I don't think she's, she'd ever, like, had the ability to let down her guard and see that until she asked him point blank about why he loves his piece of shit car. And he answered. Yes. I think that, um, they kind of really deep sentimentality for totally constructed reasons would get to Amy as well. Mm-hmm. That seems like the kind of thing she'd be into. Yeah. Right? Like, she is someone who builds things up in a huge way in her own mind. Yeah. It's, it's kind of her whole deal. Like, she just decided that Holt was going to be her rabbi. Yeah. And then that became what will probably be a years-long quest for approval. When she really should just be focusing on Terry. Yeah. I mean, Terry is less withholding and more capable of pushing things in her favor. Yeah. Or at least more likely to push things in her favor. And Terry has mentored her already. Mm -hmm. So, anyway. But, but yeah, I think think in, in the same way that Jake needed to see that Amy loves the thing he loves the way he loves it, Amy needed to see that Jake loves the job in in the way that she loves the job not all the time but sometimes or yeah. like that they have that they're I well so I think what's really what kind of gets her here is like 
He gets sentimental about the job? No, not as much. I think it's like he did something really sentimental. Something that he found personally meaningful that other people might not. And he recognizes that all things considered, it was a mistake. Like, he went way into debt to get his car. That was a bad idea. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, it was, but I'm going to spin it into a joke so that you don't have to dwell. Yeah. That's a very emotionally generous thing to do. Yeah. And it's probably the first time we, since they were strung out and, like, completely cracked out in 48 hours, that we see them giving each other sort of that kind of um, slack. Catharsis. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's interesting because, like, the entire date really does serve as, like, a microcosm of their entire relationship. Like, it starts out ultra-combative. We start with her being like, twist my words all you want, and him being like, okay. <laughs> and we end with, well, I'm a very mature man, and it goes on the good date list, and then I'll take this bullet for you. <laughs> yeah. And, with, and- with, like, them being very generous to each other. Yeah. Because deep down, like, they're extremely competitive. In the end, they're in a zero-sum game together. Yeah. Uh, unless, like, Jake gets serious about a career path that won't lead him to competition with her. They're competing for uh, finite time with Holt and, you know, opportunities all the time. Mm-hmm. But in the end, they will go well out of their way to help each other. Mm-hmm. And give of themselves Mm -hmm. and that's the good thing about them Mm -hmm. also the faces they make at each other I do love the faces they make at each other pretty good pretty good his micro expressions improve remarkably after this and he's pretty good at catching peanuts with his face I, I speaking of which I love that like her being super dorky is like already very very endearing to him mm, uh, it always was yeah but it comes out full front and center here yeah like she goes to the keys volume and he's like I see that <laughs> and we don't see his face but we can imagine that it's that like stupid dopey look he has when he says you do know me yeah well we know what his face is because Andy Sandberg and Andy and Alyssa were breaking in that moment yeah because the reason that Oh, no, 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 that's, that's a different earlier. moment. Yeah. The different moment. Are you trying I'm to catch with of, your nose? Of you're trying to hit it with your nose because she was supposed to miss all of them. She actually got several in her mouth. And that's why they were laughing so much right then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then he spun it and stayed in character. Yeah. Which is awesome. He's consummate. I know. Consummate these. But I do like that, um, that her dorkiness is just, like, charming to him. Yeah. Yeah, and like he says that even later in um, Tactical Village, they're both kind of dorky about police work. He straight up uses that word to describe her, and it's clearly with affection. Mm-hmm. That's nice. That's nice to see that it was always there, but it like gets thrust up front and then pulled back. And we even see like <laughs> that was overtly I sexual. Think... <laughs> I'm sorry. Trying a little too hard. I know. I'm sorry. Uh. We see that even in the flashback a little bit. Like, there's a kind of... I think the seed of that is in that handshake seminar thing. He's like, really? You took a seminar? This is a really important fact to me. (laughs) Right? That incredulous, but still, like, wanting to know? He's gotta know more. Yeah. 
You need to know everything about the story. He's like, okay, I have to... That's exactly right. He has to know everything. (laughs) And and that... But that's also his primary defining characteristic, is we've, we've seen him be mega creepy with everyone that he works with. Hitchcock went bald at 14, Scully used to date Hitchcock's wife, like... He knows all this crazy dumb shit about people, and he's gone through a purse, and of course he wants to know everything about how this handshake seminar that she took. That made it less cute. <laughs> but it was fun. Okay. Anyway, can, can we talk about, we, we talked a minute ago about the, uh, a minute, 20 minutes ago, about the uh, unproposal that happened there? I loved that fic by Diaphenia where she was like, what if they use that as like a distraction tactic in the future? And I really hope it comes back. I I want that. I want that very badly. I want the autonomous fake proposals and that was an episode of The Office so I could see it happening. Oh my god, Jim faking out Pam? Yeah. Like all that episode? Yeah. For like multiple episodes I feel like. No, I think it was just one episode but it felt like multiple episodes because it was just so great. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Speaking of The Office, um, I wanted to draw, I've talked a bit before at least with us, I don't know maybe if I've talked about it on the podcast yet, but like how sometimes I feel like Jake and Amy and like how like their relationship has progressed and how quickly it's progressed is Mike Schur and Dan Gore apologizing for how poorly Tom and Anne went on Parks and Rec. I never quite understood you on this point, but I will fight to defend your right to make it. <laughs> Thanks, Voltaire. <laughs> the, uh, the actual thing is, when she says on the roof, when he's like, she's like, your, your stakeout bag is, enti- is like 99% nuts. He's like, what? Nuts are super healthy. They're like 0% fat. And she says, it's actually the opposite and he goes, they're nothing, they're lied to me. That does actually sound like them. It sounds exactly like Tom and Anne to me. That was the moment where I was like, I wonder if this is them apologizing for how... Because I feel like they bungled the Tom and ship unnecessarily. Mm. The same way... Not not to the same degree at all, by any means, ever, I would make this argument beyond how... I, I feel they bungled Tom Ann the way Carter Bays and Craig Thompson bungled Barney Robin in season five of How I Met Your Mother, season five or season six. You brought up earlier the do I th- the my theory about Holt. I have a theory that Holt ships Jake Amy as much as we do, but much quieter because it's Ray Holt. Because he he's a stoic man. Yes. He is not one for tumblers. No. He would not tumble. No. Although he does hula hoop. He does. That's a different activity. True. But it's still dorky and crazy. That's one of those things, like, I feel like if Amy knew that, it would be, like, the worst, best thing. I mean, I feel like if Amy knew that, she would show up with a hula hoop at the office the very next day and pretend that she'd learn how to use it. Yes. And then hurt everyone. Anyway, I think that Holt ships them because I felt like Holt's comment to Jake in the office at the beginning of the episode is, I hope this doesn't affect your pers- or professional relationship. I felt like that was him being, like... I think that was Holt trying to do what Boyle was doing, but way too subtle for Jake to pick up on. Maybe, but if it's if so, it's too subtle for me to pick up on it. I feel, but a lot of us, a lot of us, people I met on Tumblr, we've talked about this, and we think that like Holt not only knows, but is sort of like quietly in support of that relationship going in that direction. Regardless, I feel like out of anyone in the precinct, Holt, who is a supremely well-decorated detective who has solved cases with multiple murderers with cool, fun names and is basically legendary, 
if anyone in the precinct would figure out that Jake likes Amy, it would be Holt first. But the thing is, the first person, he's, yes, he's the best detective in the precinct. Uh, he has the highest stats. And I'm, and he's watching Jake really closely. Yeah. So, yes, possibly. I really, really read that moment, though, as him doing the thing he has to do to be a responsible boss. Yeah. And shipping is not a responsible boss behavior. You're right. I'm not disagreeing with you. For for the record. The very much on the record. Hey Carl. Yeah. There was another Carl in this episode. Yeah, he's a real schmuck. <laughs> That's all we wanted to say. Carl is a name that necessitates Yiddish. Can, can we talk about the youth choir? Uh they they got some things. I used to be in a youth choir. I was in I was in the Metroplex Children's Choir and I was in Plano Children's Choir back in Texas. And allow me to say a thing, that tall girl on the left, or I guess, like, when you look at the choir on the left, she's tall, she's, like, got braces, she's... She's, she's elongated. Yes. Up and down. She's clearly barely keeping it together while Amy Samberg is doing this crazy conducting. <laughs> and Full body conducting. <laughs> I was watching that scene, and just, like, my inner nine-year-old was just, like, dying with laughter. Because you were, you were putting yourself in the place of that very tall girl in the youth choir? Yes. I've been there. I've seen some stuff. <laughs> she's she's keeping it together as well as I would. Props to you, tall singing girl. Come on our podcast. <laughs> no, don't really. You, you probably have homework. <laughs> <laughs> she probably does have homework, but I would love to talk to her about choir. I would talk to her about choir for a solid 40 minutes. None Bad of you would like creeping. that. None of you would like that. Wait. The most important part about the Jake and Amy date is the stripper at the end. Because it clearly went on forever. I would argue that the most important part no, of the Jake the and Amy date <laughs> is the part where the criminal starts stripping them. Oh my god, yes, actually. I that love criminal that. goes hard. That <laughs> criminal is an original Jake and Amy shipper. Yeah, we're... we're Even though he thinks that they're Susan and an unnamed... Guy. Unnamed idiot. Which, can we talk about improbable names for Amy? Susan. Susan? It happens. He calls her darling all the way through the episode, though. How much do I... I like that. He does that again later when they go in undercover at the dancing in the finale, too. Yeah. Yeah. Which reminds me. I wanted to talk about this episode. We've touched on all of the major plot points. Like, the, sh- the stripper scene at the end, we've mentioned before as being, like, probably one of the few times that no one could keep it together for long <laughs> enough. Because, like, that scene clearly went on forever, but there is no footage that we've seen of that. There's not even, like, internet-only deleted scenes of that. It's clearly, like, an all-blooper real problem. <laughs> but, like, one of, the, one of the things, like, I have in my notes that I remember talking about with you when it first aired is... That this episode is supposed to double as a season finale, or right. a series finale. Like, if, if the the initial order for the show was only 13 episodes, if they hadn't gotten what's called the back nine, the last nine episodes of the season, they wouldn't have kept going. They would have been done. And I was I remember watching this, like, the second or third time, like, way back, and being like, you know, if this were the series finale, I would I would be into it. Like, I could, have, I could have lived with this being the series finale. We finished, like, the only major, like, lingering plot thread. Yeah, the Boyle-Rosa thing doesn't really resolve, but, like... 
Whatever. It's it's. I can. I mean, that would have made me really upset that they ended on that note for those two. True. I think if they'd been more certain of how of it being the series finale or not, that that conversation would have ended differently. But otherwise, if you look, yeah, but I don't trust them. uh, Not not for that. Not now. Not then. Not then. Yeah. Most of all, I didn't trust them then. Right now, 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 yes, I definitely trust them. But like then, now I didn't. We'll see. You're on notice. True. Especially given some of the stuff that some of the spoilery articles are saying. I'm like, yeah. shut up, shut up, shut up. Not you, Carl. You can no, keep I know, talking. No, 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 I know. <laughs> I, I, I've seen some of the things where, like... They're trying to tease Boyle Rosa again. I'm like, wait. Yeah, no, they can die. <sighs> those people can die. Okay. Yeah, don't, don't die, Stephanie Beatrice. We love you. <laughs> but those ideas can die. Yes, we don't want that. I but, really like Boyle and Rosa's friendship, and we'll talk about that when we get to those episodes. Yeah. But... Like, that last moment with him taking the bullet, stripper-wise, that could have been a really satisfying place to end. Yeah. That being said, the season ends on a fucking cliffhanger. If it ends here. Or actual. No, I mean, as it actually is. Yay. And if that is the end of the series, uh, problems. Right. If Charges and Specs had been the series finale, problems. problems. But if the bet had been the series finale, very much livable. Like, all the major plot points resolved. Terry and Terry tells his wife that he's back in the field, and ostensibly, as far as we're concerned, he is. Which was the first major plot point brought up in the, in the premiere. Jake is, is a better detective now than he was in the pilot. Jake and Amy's bet resolves. Boyle and Rosa ends on a weird note, but it's livable. No, I mean, Rosa's not herself in that episode. If that episode had been the last word on Rosa, mm-hmm. that would have been unlivable. Like, that is not an okay way to leave off the character. Because she's not herself. She's intimidated by Boyle. She is not herself in this episode, and it's not okay to leave her like that. I don't have a good way of refuting that, because I don't really refute it. I would I would instead simply say that she's had so much character development over the season, the, the 13 episodes that we have so far, that, like, overall we have a sense of who her character is, and... Even with that scene leaving a very bitter taste in all of our mouths, like, for the most part, every character gets some good development to sort of tie them off in this episode. And if nothing else, we can just pretend that her main development in this episode was that time when she was sequestered over by that old cell phone. Well, if if we want to if we want to talk about that, I would argue that the main point of 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 what we learn in this episode is that Rosa, because we didn't have Rosa and Boyle interact much at all in Pontiac Bandit, which is the first episode of Charles being back. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time we've seen her interact with Charles since he's come back from his wound, and we see her being like feeling having really conflicted feelings about how she should treat him she explicitly says to gina i can't be mean to him because he did something really important and that means a lot to me but i also don't want to lead him on right so in in a in in an overarching sense that's character development for her because that's more than we've seen from her in the past as far as like conflicted feelings she's usually like beat him with a phone book in a place that can't be seen sure but what i really mean is the finale i'm I'm picturing is Gina saying, why are you sequestered over here by this old cell phone? Needle scratch, mic drop. <laughs> and a Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> Wait, then we wouldn't get the stripper scene. Yeah, but that's the best joke in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Gina gets some good one-liners, as you point out. Charles gets a fucking Medal of Valor. 
It's true. Overall, like, if, if we look at this episode, and I do, like, really objectively, all of the major plot points and they're, all of the They're giving out trophies. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> Everyone's, everyone has a reasonably resolved character arc from pilot to here. Especially Sergeant Peanut Butter. Especially Sergeant Peanut No, but like, <laughs> audience, if you haven't done it yet, definitely watch this episode in the context of it being the series finale for the show, and let us know what you think, because I think it's a really interesting exercise. Do this with any show that you pick up in the fall or that you've picked up before. Watch to the 13th episode and imagine if the show ended there. It's really, really interesting. So I want to end it on one last note. Amy's dental history is the other thing that comes back. Amy has a very bad history with dentists. Clearly. Personally and professionally. Yeah, clearly. So I think the two things about that date where, like, he interrupts their date to, uh, like, look in her mouth with those things is, A, that's why she doesn't visit the dentist often enough not to get cavities, and B, that's why she brushes so hard she definitely gets cavities. Yeah. Yeah, she goes from one extreme, which is not visiting enough, to visit... No, no, no. That, those both happen at once, though. She doesn't visit, and she overbrushes. Oh, yeah, because the overbrushing because would have been pointed out to her sooner. creeps! Oh, shit, you're fucking right! This explains so much! Oh, man. This also is, like, a nice, like... This makes the... But you're such a good brusher! Like, so much cuter, almost. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he knows how bad... Like, the dentist was, and now she's probably, like, not... You can probably tell how frequently she goes through toothbrushes in her purse. Oh, yeah. So this was a super fun episode. Look, I let's, like, just say, I love this episode. This yep. is probably one of my top three episodes of this series. Yeah, I, I don't think that's contestable. No. And not just because, like, it serves so nicely as a series finale. It's also just, like, all of the emotional moments are hit. Now, we've talked about how this isn't really a well-constructed episode. But it's full of wonderful things. Yeah, we love so much about all the things that are there, except for the one obvious glaring issue. Man. But we can we can just sort of out-canon that. <laughs> all the parts that are it that are gross. That seems like a dangerous act of erasure to me. But what do I know? You're not wrong. <laughs> You're actually totally right. But, like... But also it killed right? I, I'm, historically I've just ignored things in canon that I didn't like. Okay. <laughs> Which isn't wrong. Luckily it's fiction. Luckily it's fandom. Um, so on that cheerful note, from all of us here at Back in the Field. I'm Carl. My name is Arthi, and I hope you enjoyed this extra long episode. Let us know if you want us to release the bonus episode, and we'll see you next week. Bye everyone.